a quote from Sun Tzu's The Art of War. On accessible terrain, he who occupies the high ground and ensures his line of supplies will fight to advantage. On precipitous terrain, if we occupy it first, we should hold the high ground heights and wait for the enemy. If the enemy occupies it first, do not go after him, but entice him out by retreating. Welcome to Becoming Human, episode 14, and we're just getting started. And today, I hope we get a little more informed about the content of disagreement. Right? This whole conversation on conflict and mediation, it brings up an important question. Do we even know what we are disagreeing about half the time? And I, I start with this quote from The Art of War, which I know it's about military strategy, but it artfully proposes that you have to know where you are. Right? You just don't go into battle right? because no two conflicts are the same. You have to know your position, which shapes everything you decide to do. So that's what we're going to get into today. I, I hope we're able to pay attention to the, the multifaceted factors that shape our relational conflicts and our arguments and, and what frames our positions whenever we're in one. It, it's something I really think that we should know. So let's learn, let's grow, and let's know what the hell we're even arguing about. So a couple of the suggested techniques and practices for conflict re resolution, it, namely I'm talking about the one that which was ascribing motives um, and then also focusing on issues one at a time. Those, those bring up something that will bridge the gap for us here between dealing with conflicts, which we just spent a few episodes on, and now getting into the issues we have of disagreeing with others, which is a specific kind of conflict. And I'm going to play my hand up front. I'm trying to lay the groundwork here to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is map making. Map making being a relational form of dealing with disagreements and perspectives and debates, arguments, all of that. But before we get there, we need to talk about why we as human beings even have this issue called disagreeing, which we'll get to in a couple episodes. Because before we can do that, we need to talk about the fact that there's various types of conflict or, or styles of conflict or what we could call argumentative approaches. So this episode is partly to fill in some gaps on how to deal with conflict resolution, right? Expanding on some things from the last couple episodes. It's partly to help us transition to this whole issue of perspectives and the array of problems it causes in interactions with human beings. So before we get into the nature of disagreement, let's cover a few of the types of disagreement that we might be having in conflict resolution situations. And let's get into why our disagreements might be happening in the way that they do. So this all starts with, just like the art of war, the position you bring to the conflict that absolutely shapes how the disagreement's going to unfold. Now, the real issue here 
is that a conflict often comes for the, from the perception of having two incompatible goals. And so I want to focus on that because the point of this episode is this. There's various forms of argumentative approaches. That then shapes the subject matter, which then impacts the outcome. Now, a brief reminder, conflict, it's, it's a natural thing, it's inevitable, it's potentially constructive, it's this friction that results from two people being people. You have to listen to a few episodes back if you want that to make sense. What this means is that when we disagree, there's some sort of notion that we are holding on to, and it appears irreconcilable or incompatible with someone else and their notion. But more important than the content of the argument, of the disagreement, that's what our culture is really good at focusing on. More important than the content is the framework that you're arguing from. That's something that I don't see us paying attention to. I'm, I wonder if people even realize that such an idea exists, right? There's an approach that has influenced our position in a specific argument. Now, after we finish this conversation, in a couple episodes, it's going to be all about how we develop those notions in the first place. Okay, how do you develop a perspective? We're going to get into that, and that's all about phenomenology and epistemology. But we have to start with when someone says something or they write something on their social media feed, and now we've got to defend our position because it's different from that one, and we assume it's mutually exclusive. Okay, now that's a conflict resolution situation. And in conflict resolution, maybe we would say, uh, those views aren't mutually exclusive. And maybe the whole problem here is that you are rooted in your position instead of your interests, and that's all the way back to principled negotiation theory. But let's say, in this hypothetical scenario, which probably never happens to any of you, let's say that those people didn't listen to the last two episodes, like you did of course, and they're arguing. The first thing we would want to do to calm things down, you know, de-escalate hostility, would be to get them to see whether or not they are actually arguing about different issues or from different perspectives with different approaches. They might be trying to argue about multiple issues all at once because they might be using different approaches to the argument. Remember, focus on one issue at a time. And if our approaches are different, in order to focus on a common issue, we need to know if they're different or not. One of the biggest factors in disagreement is not that we interpret content differently, but that we approach content differently which leads to different views. See, this is, this is all about the initial cause, the first cause. And if you're not aware of this, it's going to lead to pretty ugly arguments. So what are the argumentative approaches? We need to realize that there's multiple kinds. There are multiple structures working behind whatever perspective you have that formulates your position on you know whatever the content is so if you and somebody else that you're in a disagreement with arrived at 
and used a different process to arrive at whatever your perspective is, then the whole argument's going to be different. And it's going to impact how you disagree. So essentially the point here, you need to know what you are arguing about in the first place because there are many different categories that could be at play. And if they're different, you're going to have one hell of a time trying to come to any consensus, conclusion, or, or, or resolution, right? And it's not just the details, but the perspective behind the details. Unless we acknowledge that we're, hey, maybe we're using different categories here or different approaches. That's not going to happen. That resolution won't. But if we don't pay attention or don't even know that these exist, let alone that they're so influential, well, enter whatever cliche statement you have about heads banging against brick walls. That's where this is going to go. Now, let's set the terrain here for the conversation. I really don't like to bring up politics, uh, but in order to help make sense of this, I want you to think about what happened during Donald Trump's presidential cycle. Honestly, this might be the most clear cultural example in America of how approaching arguments uh, and, and the content of our disagreements from different categories or perspectives absolutely impacts the outcome. And it's partly because uh, a lot of the categories were used during that cycle, but also it was, it was recent. So maybe this will help us understand. So let's say someone says they support Donald Trump because of a stance on a particular policy. But let's say someone else says, yeah, that policy, that single issue. But did you hear about the thing he said about enter a group of people here? Right? And the argument will go, do you really want an immoral president impacting our society? But then another person might say, well, well I don't care about his personality. I care about his legislation. I care about the, the stats and the, the facts about the things that he actually does, his economic policy, et cetera, whatever. But then somebody else might come back and say, whoa, 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 but don't you think that the culture that will result from the animosity of his policies and public persona will actually make all of those things worse? And then maybe somebody else comes in and devolves into, well, hey, listen, I've, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal and I'm going to stand by my party. And like, that's their argument. Or in maybe in a stroke of elevated consciousness, someone majestically steps away from their political affiliation and, and they'll tell you for how many years I was an ardent supporter of that and now I've changed and they get to relish in the wokeness of doing the right thing. These are all different arguments used about Donald Trump's presidency. And there's a bunch more. Now, let me be clear. I am not a member of any political party. And uh, for the most part, I really do not care about political polemics. I just think the disagreements concerning, for example, a president are a great way to expose that the content of a disagreement is one of the most important causes of our cultural failures in arguing. We are often not arguing about the same things because there are multiple styles or approaches 
that make up our positions in an argument. And if you don't pay attention to that, the argument will go in any direction but forward. What would be awesome, and and I mean this wholeheartedly, like literally, I'm not being facetious here, it would be literally awe-inspiring if we were able to, in the midst of a disagreement, recognize what is driving the positions in the disagreement and keep from arguing about something with two different approaches that are not compatible or reconcilable to each other. That would be great. Like imagine if someone in the presidential argument said, oh, hey, well, you seem to be basing your position on a particular value set. So we could argue whether or not the value set is upheld or not, but we should be clear that the value problem isn't a good way to interact with the policy argument I am making. And I know, I know that's like ridiculous, that will never happen, and it would be kind of awkward if it did. But seriously, and I, I, I'm not trying to, to treat this lightly, I honestly think a lot of our political disagreements could at least be better contextualized with this. But this is not, you know, unconcerned with everyday life. Think about this in terms of your relationships. How often do we get into a disagreement with a spouse or a partner or a friend and we are arguing about something with two very different approaches and we each go on formulating reasonings that the other party doesn't care about. It would help if we could realize we're approaching an apparent single issue with diverse formulations, which means we are actually talking about two different issues. So all I want to do now is I just want to cover the approaches. What are these categorical types of argument formulations that shape our positions in whatever conflict we're in or debate or argument or disagreement? What are they? And there are actual categories for this. And I'm here to, here to share them with you. But before I do, I want you to have an example in your head of an argument you were in or that you saw um, because it's going to help as you process how all these different categories work. Um, and if you don't have one, I'll, I'll share one with you that's in my head. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in a high school gymnasium all right, for a community forum. I live, uh, by the way, in a small rural town. So hopefully you can picture this. And uh, the forum was about the school changing athletic leagues. And there was an open mic involved. So whatever picture you have in your head right now, that's probably what it was actually like. You've got the administration making an argument on the one side, an angry crowd responding to the decision they see unfolding. It, this wasn't good. And as I sat there, I noticed this very thing happening. Right, Lots of arguments were being made but they weren't arguing about the same thing. It, it was this constant conflating of approaches, which in conflict resolution, we would say, that's a no-no. You can't do that. Now, to be fair, the issue of different approaches in the situation wasn't the only problem. And this is important to consider. Uh, this issue of argumentative approaches is not the only reason our disagreements might suck. I, I think it's a primary one just because we don't talk about it a lot. 
But, you know, thinking about the whole of conflict resolution, there's a lot of factors here, right? Like sociologically, there was a clear power differential because you had administration and population and, you know, the, there's kind of a fiduciary uh, movement between the board and the administrators and the people who voted for the board and it it gets complicated but then at the same time you had like psychologically there was a clear embodiment of all three of the reasons people resist change right so more on that in episode six but the three reasons people resist change well what's happening is a large community change people are going to resist it that, that's just What's going to happen? I will say uh, a lot of things went well according to trans theoretical stages of change. Like the whole example I gave of Sweden is actually kind of happening there. Anyways, I arrogantly kind of sat there going, I wish everyone would have listened to the last couple episodes on conflict resolution before this began because a lot of rules were broken. Almost every recommended behavior to avoid happened. Right, ascribing motives, have homonym arguments, counterblaming, uh, demanding withdrawal from the argument, false logic, and that one. Whoa. This scenario was a case study for false logic. There was so much, like using pathos as a form of logos or ethos or as a form of logos, and lots of mixing up inductive versus deductive reasoning, or lots of not paying attention to epistemological assumptions when they would say something that they're going, this is a fact, when it's not actually a fact. And we will actually cover a lot of this after we finish uh, this conversation. And that's going to be all a part of like how our perspective forms and how it works. But I'm serious when I say that if we could actually take the time to learn these things as a culture, we could avoid what happened in that gymnasium. And the list goes on, spiraling negativity, stubbornness, aggressive communication, epistemic injustice, indirect communication, it was all there. But the biggest thing was arguing about different issues. So think about your scenario in your head or, or use one of the examples I've given, the community forum or presidential election, whatever, and think about how they play out according to these six categories of types of positions in arguments, otherwise known as the six argumentative approaches. All right, first category we'd call the pseudo argument. And the pseudo argument isn't really a type. It's kind of the lack of a type. A pseudo argument is one where there's an apparent conflict, you know, two or more people are arguing or whatever, but there isn't really anything going on in the sense of the argument. The argument isn't the real issue. Now, this could be because the people involved are saying the same thing in different ways or with different words. And if they could just, you know, agree on terms, they'd probably realize there's no difference in their perspectives. Right, the, A common communication breakdown is that we don't share meaning with the same words. That's pretty normal. So that could be it. However, it can also be when the apparent disagreement or, you know, someone entering into an argument 
it's a stand-in for a different issue or a different problem. And this can be because of a relational problem. This could be because of a social situation. You know, someone is caught in an uncomfortable position. They're looking to avoid shame or safe face or stop uncertainty. Or they're just kind of like working with the expectations and norms of a cultural situation. It could be uh, that there's like an unequal power dynamic. Anything where there is no real position for the argument, it's about something else. You know, it, it could even be because I just really like to argue. And so I got into an argument and I took a position. And, you know, some people just like to watch the world burn, I guess. But this is more common than you think. You know, even intentionally. And, and sometimes it's not negative. You know, some people like to just play the game of arguing. This is why people have debate teams. But often, this is a real psychological trip to uncover. And I have found myself doing this before, you know, filling in some lack by getting into an argument. Um, or when someone is upset with someone else, so they engage in arguing about some topic to express discontent or, you know, win against that antagonistic person. It's filling in a lack. And one thing I noticed from both sides of the community forum in the gymnasium is there were people, you know, flinging and refuting information and it all seemed to be about a loss of control. There was kind of this undergirding melody of the night that they needed to make these arguments because something else was going wrong in the community or even their lives. Now, if nothing else, the existence of this category just helps us pay attention to the complex landscape of any human being. And psychological adventures await those daring to uncover our ulterior motives. But that's something that we can see um, with this approach. No one exists in a vacuum, and therefore, no argument exists in a vacuum. And it's very difficult to separate a person from their argument. But we need to pay attention if there's anything else impacting our position or how we're articulating or why we're even in this argument in the first place. Now, moving on to actual differences in how an argument is based, the second category is a fact argument. You can, in fact, have an argument about the facts. Some information gets presented, and it's disputed by another party. Now there's an argument. And this is about facts, where each position is based on defending certain facts. And this is honestly what we usually have in mind, uh, you know, when we think about an argument. Um, and you hear this at least getting purported by people all the time, of just, just looking at the facts here. Uh, but here's where this gets a dicey. Facts are a tricky thing. They're complicated. And just on the surface, you might think you are arguing with facts when really you are working with something else, say, opinions or preferences. And this, again, we'll get more into this in a future episode. But facts are very specific forms of logical reasoning and use of empirical data. Facts are things that can't be disproven, not just because somebody hasn't tried hard enough. 
because, but because there's nothing to disprove. They just are. And one of the most unfortunate of circumstances is when someone presents the facts and they're not actually facts. And well, this, this is a phenomenological, epistemological issue with the nature of our perspective. You know, we're conscious, sentient beings. And I know all of that was just a mouthful. And I promise I'll make it more simple than I just did. But this is a huge issue. I just noticed in our culture, because saying something is a fact gives you a certain credibility that makes it harder to argue with. I wish we would just be more honest about what are facts and what are opinions and what are preferences and what are conjectures and what's speculation and what's a hypothetical. And that's okay that those are different and doesn't make them bad or good. But let's use the right things. Now, factual arguments can and often are where, you know, two people are trying to figure out the validity of information. Okay, so are the facts actually facts? What are the facts? Can we figure out the facts? Uh, does the data, does the logic hold up? Those are factual arguments. Those happen, those happen a lot. Um, but with this, they could also be where people are arguing about how to interpret or implement the facts. So let's, you know, somebody's got engineering data on how to build a road in a specific location. And so an argument can arise of, you know, whether or not that roadway plan is uh, the right one. You have the facts of the engineering data, but you still have to figure out what to do with them. Or, you know, two doctors can have the same facts about a person's physiological state, but they might disagree on, you know, how to implement that information. And this, you're going to see this impact the fourth category. Um, and so just know that there's, there's going to be a merge where a factual argument can become another kind of argument. But as long as you're talking about like which facts are right, how to interpret and implement the right, the true facts or, or stuff like that, that's, that's a factual argument still. Um, Again, the most common form is whether or not the facts are valid or what are the facts in the first place. You know, we're just trying to see them. But there's another way that you can do this. And it's when you have an opinion about the facts and data, which is usually what most people are doing. And again, this starts merging into another category called value, which we'll get to next. But it's possible that you go, here are the facts about all these different wooden spoons. But which one is best? Well, best is a subjective state that needs qualified. You know, what do you mean by best? Best at what? So we can have the same information and still argue about which wooden spoon is best. And again, this is where this starts moving into a different kind of argument. But, uh, this is how we often approach fact arguments as we go, okay, so here's the information. Uh, do I like that information? Do I agree with that information? You know, I, not to get all sports metaphor here, but uh, this often comes up uh, with me where people will ask me the question, who is the best quarterback of all time? And I nerd out on this stuff. And so people, they want, what's your opinion? You, you, you work with that. And I always start, well, what do you mean by best? There's not just a 
objective factual state called best that we're able to analyze, you, you have to decide what does best mean. And then once that's established, now we can take all of the various facts, the basic information that can't be disproven and give an opinion on the facts based on how you've defined what you're looking for. And I mean, I would, I would tell you the obvious answer to this, but I'm sure you already know who the best quarterback of all time is. And so I don't need to give my perspective there. Now, let's move on. Because we're going to get into the whole fact versus opinion versus preference thing um, as, we, as we go and talk about perspective. But I want you just to imagine for a second. When you take two opposed groups of human beings with their own divergent experiences and opinions and hopes, and you present the data and the facts, and then you think, well, everybody's going to agree. Everybody's going to see it my way. It never happens. Well, it rarely happens. Because the facts are always going to be interpreted. Even in factual arguments, we aren't often arguing about the basic nature of the facts. We're arguing about what we want to do with the facts. And it would be nice to just have pure factual arguments all the time. But that means we'd have to take the human component out of this, which some folks try to do. And actually, next episode, uh, I'll, I'll show you a particular method that tries to do this. But facts get muddy as soon as you introduce a human being with consciousness and feelings and limited experience into the equation. And unfortunately, you can't have an argument about facts without people to have the argument. So this is always going to be a problem. And you'll probably hear me rail against this again, but uh, might as well say something right now. Facts matter, feelings don't. Hear that a lot? I get what they're trying to say. They're trying to say that factual arguments, that approach should be the one that we utilize the most. I get it. I mean, that's still your preference, but I get it. All I hear when you say facts matter, feelings don't, is as long as there are no sentient, limited, subjective, conscious beings here that has to interpret, implement, or contextualize the facts, then that's what matters. Uh, but that's impossible. You, you actually can't separate a person's facts or logic from their experience. We'll get into more, that more. I just wanted to bring it up now. And hey, that kind of arguing, which is actually number five on our current, current list, it sells. And I actually think these people know all of those logic pieces. They just know that their audience is more likely to buy their stuff if they make brash statements like that. Anyways, that's my opinion. All of uh, these, however, th these approaches to facts, they're about information. Okay, so the second one, or the third one, but the second one that actually deals with content is value. So you got pseudo-argument, fact-argument, now value-argument. And this is arguing based on morality or based on some sort of value proposition for what is good or worthwhile or desirable or preferred. And this is what I was referencing in the presidential example. Someone can claim that Donald Trump is not a good president for certain actions or 
um, uses of speech, you know, on the grounds of values of ethics. And that's actually a way to approach an argument. We'll, we'll see that more next episode. Uh, but what they're doing is they're implying that there's a moral component, not just facts. And you can argue about that. There's a whole discipline uh, concerning this called social ethics. It's a way to argue. Now, in considering this category, it's really hard to win here because value is just, just like what we talked about in opinions based on factual arguments. Value is for the most part subjective. You know, at, at the least, value requires a human component and that human's experience, which is limited. So I'm not saying that there are not objective values or morals, etc. Again, social ethics has all sorts of theories on this. I'm saying that a single person figuring that out and having a corner on the market is practically an impossible feat. So this creates an entire debate on, you know, which sources of morality should have authority to make decisions and whether questions of value should be generally agreed upon. So, you know, that's a moral absolutism being the most extreme version or, you know, whether ethics and value statements should be based on context, often referred to as moral particularism. But overall, if the position is about values, the arguments, you know, they're going to continue indefinitely, which isn't a bad thing. And in, in fact, that's the only way we will ever move in a better direction. But we should just know it is possible to frame a position from the perspective of value. And forming an argument this way, it's actually really common. Though we mostly think we are, you know, just looking at the facts, we're constantly using our uh value propositions to impact how we interact with facts. And so this gets really tricky. But let's move on to number four, policy arguments. This one's similar to information because policy positions are simply a perspective on how I, uh, you know, a policy, a plan, or a course of action or behavior ought to be done. So we might hear policy argument and we go, we don't have very many arguments on policy, like unless we're in some huge corporation or government. But but policy, it's not it's not about like a piece of paper policy. It's about how something should be done. So it's less about facts um, of and information in that way, and it's more about the process concerning the information. You know, what is the right outcome or process to be used in a situation? You know, how should something be done? That's a policy argument. So we might disagree over a rule or a concept or an organizational facet, but it's about the implementation of something. Now, usually this is associated with facts, and this is most likely the category to be influenced by multiple categories. You know, think about the community forum thing, okay? That was a policy conversation, that got highly mixed up with arguments about facts and how to implement them and how to interpret them and arguments about values. So often people will use facts or values to help determine policy. So it's really difficult to contain this one to its own realm. But being able to note when you are simply trying to figure out what to do, 
not if the concept is good, that would be value, or true, which would be facts. Just noting, hey, we're just trying to figure out what to do here can help avoid one of the biggest stalwarts of, of groups and organizations. If you're having a policy argument, you have to enter into it without judging the outcome itself. Unless you're going to change categories to then a factual argument or a value one. So again, what are the options for what we should do? You can have that argument and then you can say, now how do you feel about those? Or are there any additional facts to help us understand that outcome? That's how you know that would look. But let's move on to number five. And this one is called the ego argument. Now, if you remember the principled negotiation model for conflict resolution, this is where we are defending a position. And it's actually where the defense of the position is the most important thing. And the way this begins to look is we don't articulate what our interests are. Uh, you know, we, we don't articulate um, what's bringing us to a position. We just want to win an argument. The argument itself is about our ego, not any of the outcomes, not even about the content. Like if you've ever found yourself utilizing information or perspectives that you don't actually care about, just so you can make a point that you, you know, you know, this, this is going to defeat the opposing party and give you a chance to drop the mic as you shuffle backward with your hand in the air. You have argued from a position of ego. And usually this gets disguised behind other uh, argumentative approaches. That kind of makes it like uh, the pseudo argument, which, you know, if you, if you paid attention to some of those details, you notice that one of the reasons you could be arguing about something uh, as a stand-in for something else is because, you know, you want to win an argument. So that would bring us down to this category. But on the surface, th there isn't a whole lot that is respectable about this. You know, there, there's not much substance to this approach. Someone is trying to protect themselves and their interests. But that's where this category can actually be important because self-preservation, when unnecessary, can be socially destructive. But if human needs are an issue in a situation, it might actually be okay to argue from this perspective. And if you are arguing with someone on the basis of ego, it can be really helpful to acknowledge if that's at stake. And, and you think back to some of the conflict resolution models they make room for this. In this way, you know, it is similar to the first approach. The argument might not really be about the argument. Um, but with ego, it usually isn't nearly as uh, psychologically noble as that first category. But it sure can be helpful to stop and realize that a person might be getting so fired up because they have more on the line than making sure, you know, the right thing happens they need to win this possibly for their well-being or even their survival. And seriously, I've seen people fighting for their lives, getting caught in an argument where they have to win. So I can't completely demonize this approach. I would say that for most of us, the ego is the enemy to constructive conflict resolution and proper argumentation. And at least for me, 
When I see this happening, I get this uncomfortable feeling where I just shake my head and get this confused look on my face and think, you look like such an idiot right now. So be careful with this one. And and if I ever find myself in uh, a situation where someone starts doing this with me, I usually just get really uncomfortable and walk away because I am a conflict avoiding person most of the time. But let's get into the last category. The last argumentative approach is the meta argument. And this is where the disagreement is actually based on how to disagree in the first place. And so you could have an argument on which category should be used in a particular situation or, you know, which method is the right one to enter into a situation with. And, you know, this is where the disagreement is actually based on how to disagree in the first place. And you might be doing this with me right now, you know, that I've got all this wrong and I might. Uh, so let's have the meta argument and preferably on a comfortable couch with a nice beverage. But this last category comes up uh, in another realm as well. And we'll get into this next time. And, you know, you just got to consider if you ever, you know, try this with folks, just be prepared for crickets and for people to walk away and shake their heads because you're kind of weird. Um, but honestly, this whole point of this episode is that we should probably be having this conversation more. But before we get to the other way to approach uh, arguments, which is going to be about methods, not necessarily specific categories or approaches, let's just stop and recognize the issue here. Our arguments often suck when we conflate categories. Now, the first thing to pay attention to is that there's a problem when we conflate categories concerning what the argument is. So when both sides are actually having different arguments because they're using different approaches, you have to make sure that both sides are using the same kind of argument. You know, what's going to happen if someone is railing on about the facts while someone else is, you know, exploding back with value issues? You're not going to get anywhere because you're trying to convince someone of a position that they aren't actively considering or utilizing. And you'll, you'll just keep yelling back and forth because your categories are different. And, you know, you might be talking about the same content, right? But using different approaches. So it can be really helpful to recognize if both parties you know, are arguing about the actual same thing or not. You know, if someone thinks there's a factual argument going on and the other person is having a policy argument or a value argument, you, you know, you might as well just be speaking different languages. I, you probably even have more progress if you just spoke different languages. And it gets more complicated, you know, when someone is having an ego argument or a pseudo argument, but it's disguised with fact or value or policy and then the other person's approaching it from a different it, different angle. It, yeah, it gets complicated quick. So hopefully we're starting to see why conflict and argument and disagreement is tricky because we can conflate categories when we're arguing about something from two different approaches. Now, the second thing to pay attention to is that we conflate categories ourselves when we are using two or more categories and pretending 
that they're the same one. So you have to make sure, you know, not only that both parties are using the same category, the same approach, you have to make sure that you're not conflating approaches in your own argument. And this honestly mostly happens with facts and values. You know, we disagree with someone's facts because we've subjectively experienced something or because we don't like that interpretation, etc. It gets most destructive though when you're disguising an ego argument or a pseudo argument with fact or value or policy. Anytime we pretend that two different approaches are the same, we're conflating categories and that's going to make it really hard to have a healthy, a healthy argument. You know, if someone is arguing about their experience and then we bring up factual information to affirm the experience and why it's better, and we just mixed value and fact. That, that's not the conversation that's being had unless both parties agree that we're, hey, hey now I'm going to switch to value here. But I, you know, I guess it would just be really awkward to constantly be going, hey, let's do fact now. All right, now let's switch to value. It could be a fun game though. Maybe somebody should come up with that. Mixing categories simply is complicated. And, and I'm not saying you can't do it, you know, but you need to know and be clear about what you are doing when you're doing it. And technically this gets into what is called modes of reasoning, which we're going to cover after we finish this conversation in a couple episodes, you know, logos, pathos, ethos. But when we are talking about disagreements, I just want us to see that it is really helpful if we are aware of what we are disagreeing about in the first place. If we are aware of how each person is approaching the disagreement, we're going to have a much better chance of mutual resolution. So that's it for this episode. Hopefully we can start approaching our arguments better and we'll pick this up further next time by, by moving past approaches uh, to, to the content and the methods that impact how we interpret data in the first place. And then from there, we'll zoom out even further into what is a perspective. But for now, may you go and have better arguments by knowing what kind of argument you're having in the first place. <laughs>